Welcome to the Financially Intentional Podcast. I'm your host, Nasima McElroy. Listening to podcasts helped me pay off nearly a million dollars in debt and set my kids up to be millionaires in under three years. I wanted to bring you a podcast that's not just about success stories. We're about actionable advice. We'll bring you experts and thought leaders who can provide valuable insights and strategies to aid you on your financial journey. Whether you're striving to eliminate debt, invest wisely, or create generational wealth, our guests are here to inspire, educate, and empower you. We're committed to amplifying voices that are often overlooked in the traditional finance space, ensuring diverse perspectives and experiences. Join us as we explore the intersection of personal finance and intentional living. Together, we'll navigate the path to financial freedom and set you on a road to lasting prosperity. This is the Financially Intentional Podcast, where your financial dreams become intentional realities. Welcome to episode 54 of the Financially Intentional Podcast. Happy 2024, my financially intentional people. I am so happy to be back. I've been on a little bit of a hiatus through the end of the year, but I am back in full effect for the new year with new guests and new topics. And I really think what we're going to talk about today is super important because I know this is a personal finance platform, but a lot of what I share, especially what I've shared recently, has been to do with um, my own journey with having my last baby, but also things that I've, I've experienced as a labor and delivery nurse that have to do with Black maternal morbidity and mortality and patient advocacy. And even though these things aren't directly personal finance related, it, everything is tied to your finances, what resources you have access to, what medical care you have, who was there to advocate for you. And just as a, a Black woman in America, and not everybody is Black, I understand that. But as a Black woman in America, we have so many things stacked up against us. No matter what your income level is, I recently just shared an article on Instagram about how income does not matter when it comes to poor maternal outcomes, maternal and fetal outcomes. I'm super excited to have Lavina here to talk about some programs that she's offering to empower our birthing communities and just a little bit of background about her because the more information we can get out there about this, hopefully we can change the disparities that are happening. So I'm not going to stop talking about this. We're going to, we're going to keep this in the forefront so that we can see some changes. So welcome, Lorena. I'll give you you a chance to introduce yourself and then we'll just hop right in. Hey. All right. Awesome. Well, first of all, thank you so much. Thank you for allowing me to be on your podcast on New Year's Day. I know you could probably be doing a bunch of other things, but you're taking the time out. So I really appreciate it. So anyways, like she said, my name is Lorvina. I am Haitian. I grew up in a lively Haitian household. And for anybody that 
is Haitian or is familiar with the Haitian community, um, when you're growing up, your parents offer you a couple of choices as far as career choices. And my parents offered me kind of like a four course meal. It's like, you can either be a lawyer, you can be a judge, you can be a doctor, or you can be a nurse. So me <laughs> wanting to please my parents, I decided, okay, well, I'm going to hit it big. Like I'm going to pursue to be a doctor. So that was like my trajectory when I was younger. And at around 12 to 13 years old, I went to my home country in Haiti and I saw a lot of the devastation. I saw the famish and the lack of resources. And I knew right then and there that I wanted to come back and help my country and other countries like that. So I knew that I wanted to do it in the field of medicine. So I decided, okay, I'm going to pursue like becoming a doctor. Later on, I realized that was not something that I wanted to do. It doesn't really fit my lifestyle. So I decided to become a nurse. Fast forward to nursing school. My favorite rotation, you guessed it, was OB. I loved it there. We would do 12-hour rotations towards the end of nursing school. And I did not want to leave, y'all. I was there for 12 hours and I was like, I want to stay. Like, I want to be here. So I knew, okay, I think I'm heading in the right direction. So then fast forward to after nursing school, after I graduated, I went on a mission trip to Liberia um, and I did some volunteer work with women's services. I volunteered in the um, birthing clinic and also like the family medicine clinic. And I got to see just one birth, but it was incredible. You guys, there was no modern medicine involved there was no all this extra technology that we have, which is great, but they didn't have that. It was just like raw birth. It was messy, but it was just so natural. And I absolutely loved it. And I remember praying. I was like, God, let me have an opportunity to become an OB nurse when I get back home. And lo and behold, about two weeks after I graduated, well, not graduate, after I came back to America, I got an opportunity to apply to be an OB nurse and I was bright eyed and bushy tailed and I I was so excited. I was like, yes, I'm, I'm going to be an OB nurse. I'm going to be doing these deliveries. Everything's going to be great. Um, you know, of course, when you're in an area for so long, you start to see the cracks and the crevices, you start to see the cracks in the foundation. Um, and some of the things that I was seeing um, was not just the nursing shortage that everyone everywhere is experiencing, but also just a lack of autonomy, a lack of respect, lack of consent and information being given to patients. Sometimes um, seeing blatant lies be told to patients, old face lies, as, as we like to say. And that shook me And because they did interfere with that person's birthing process. It dictated what kind of birth result that they were going to have. And I have had several experiences that like I went home crying, y'all, and I was upset, couldn't sleep. And that's when I knew, okay, clearly I'm seeing something that is not good and we're all seeing it. And I have to do something to at least put myself at ease to let people know what it is that I'm seeing so that they can be able to like make different decisions from what I saw. I love all of that. And I too <laughs> started off thinking I was going to be a doctor. And then later on, much later than you kind of took the nursing route. Mm -hmm. So I understand that path there. But also, I love that you were able to 
experience like that natural birth without all the medical interventions we have yeah. here in Liberia. And what an excellent opportunity it was to I go know. to Liberia. That's amazing. Yes. But to come back here in America where we're supposed to be the most technologically advanced first world country mm-hmm. and to see the things that you're seeing. And, and it's not, you didn't come into like labor and delivery or OB like bitter. Like you came in so enthusiastic yes. and just so passionate. And it, it just seemed like your world was rock. Yeah, And I sure. remember experiencing that, but it was not until later that I saw it because serving different communities, different doctors, different demographics, all that kind of stuff. But it's just one of those things that when you see it, it hits you, especially telling you talking about lies, you're talking about disrespect, you're talking about all of those things. But I want to take it back. Like, when did you start practicing as an uh, OB nurse? So I started practicing two years ago. So I am two years okay. into the game. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, awesome, yes. awesome. So two years is is a relatively short amount of time, but the things that you've seen in that amount of time, it seems have been really impactful in the way that you are showing up in your patient care and Mm -hmm. what you want to do to be able to educate others. Because at the end of the year, I always do a recap Mm -hmm. of my most popular posts and always in the top three is the story that I tell about my experience with advocating for black women in labor and Mm. being fired and inevitably, inevitably there's always somebody that comes in there and is just, well, what do you mean? Like, how are people being treated unfairly? Yeah. And usually I'm just like, I, I just pin the comment because I'm like tired of answering those questions because <laughs> <laughs> I have done it over and over and I'll share yeah. the information. But how would you answer that question? In your experience, what were you seeing that people, the experiences that patients were having that were different? Yeah, some of the things that I was seeing was you can definitely tell the gap in certain communities. And to be specific, the Black community and the Hispanic community is the main community that we serve where I work. And in the places that I've worked and I can see that because of the lack of education that tends to be the case in these communities is they're not aware of not just their bodily anatomy, but they're also not aware of the rights that they have. They're not aware of the medical interventions that is taking place, the different stages of labor, all these things. And I think that just leaves too much room for healthcare providers to do whatever it is that they please, whether they have good intentions or not. And I don't think that this is the time for somebody to just be so vulnerable to other people, if that makes sense. Because while I would love to say that as your healthcare providers and doctors and nurses, we have the, the best intentions, like you said, there are implicit biases that are in place. Sometimes there are the racism that's in place that we are not aware of ourselves or they might not be aware of, even the provider themselves may not be aware of. So those are uh, a lot of the things that I've noticed. Yeah, I want to just clarify, because even if someone isn't as educated as in general, as mm-hmm. an educational background, 
still when it comes to bringing a child in this world most people no matter what their education level is if they have doctorate degrees and most of the people i work in silicon valley mm-hmm. so a lot of them are like rocket scientists mm. super engineers yeah. but they aren't educated yeah. about the birthing process yeah. but the beautiful thing about creating a baby is like there's typically a 9 to 10 month gestation period where you can get this education and the onus is really on medical providers to provide that education. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes it's very lacking. People are not knowledgeable about the changes their body goes to. Like you said, their anatomy. I can't tell you how many times people think that you pee out of the same hole the baby comes out of like the fluctuations and what your organs do. So why people have preeclampsia or high blood pressure Mm -hmm. or diabetes, how that happens, like those things. So I don't want people to think that it's a class issue Mm -hmm. or it's something that, Oh, it's because this person doesn't have a certain level of education. Those things across the board, That education is Mm -hmm. something that needs to happen for every demographic and it's strongly lacking. But what ends up happening is, is that oftentimes because somebody does not know how to ask for that information, Mm -hmm. they are intentionally not taught those things Mm -hmm. or they look at the relationship between the provider patient mm-hmm. relationship as one of subservient. Like I have to listen to what this person says because they know best, right. not knowing their rights and how to advocate for themselves. Right. If something doesn't feel right, because at the end of the day, mm-hmm. no matter what level of education you have, your body and you know what's going on with you and if you're saying something is going on and you're not feeling heard Mm -hmm. you've asked questions that aren't being answered Mm -hmm. you reported problems that aren't being addressed there are issues yes and like i said that does not have anything to do with class Mm -hmm. gender education income all those things yeah but on the large in America, by and by, black and brown babies are often experiencing poor outcomes mm-hmm. because of so many variables yeah. that happen in this process yeah. of not having the right education, not having the right access to services, mm-hmm. not being able to have a voice, not knowing how to speak up, and um, just people blatantly <laughs> doing things to them yeah. that they think that nobody's going to report and nobody's going to know, yeah. um, which leads to the two to three times higher death and mm-hmm. injury rate for black and brown mom and babies. Mm-hmm. And ideally, you would think that you could get this kind of education and information in your doctor's office. But I read a statistic somewhere that I think that a lot of OBs and doctors in general, they spend about less than 10 minutes in each doctor's visit. There's no way you can get all that information. So it's like you have to take it upon yourself you and your support system to educate yourself during that time of being pregnant or even beforehand. Yeah. Right. And it is so important to know what kind of access to information that you have Mm -hmm. and not solely, like you said, not solely rely on your doctors, your MPs, your medical providers to be the resource for you. You have to understand 
that there's a lot of information out there. Mm-hmm. And when it comes <laughs> to having a baby, there's no, there's so much stuff. It's, it could be overwhelming, mm-hmm. but you have to understand the credible sources and you have to understand the things that are relevant to you Yes, and um, be able to parse that out. So that's like a part that a lot of people I feel like are missing. Mm-hmm. So I know you created the solution to address it. Can you talk about like how you went from that point of something has to happen to trying to solve the problem? Yes. I had, I've had several situations where I've had a patient and things just went completely outside of what they were expecting and what I was even expecting. And so I'll talk about two instances that like, I will probably never forget until the day I die. <laughs> so one instance, for example, um, I had um, a patient, she's a second time mom. She came in to be induced. Um, she was 40 weeks pregnant. And the reason that she thought she was getting induced was different from what the reason the provider told us. And she didn't realize that until well, she was already admitted in the hospital bed, already gave her the medication and were given uh, bedside report. That was like red flag for her right there. And this provider, I don't know what the reason was, but he was particularly impatient for this labor process. And as it can take a very long time. So after within six hours of her labor, of trying to induce her, she was not making any progress whatsoever. She came in one centimeter, it was still one centimeter, six hours into it after the medication. So he starts to tell me... Um, and just for just for point of reference, an induction, a labor mm-hmm. induction can take anywhere from one to three days. Yes. That is not abnormal for right. the first six hours of cervix not being changed because... It is a process. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, it's okay. So he started to mention to me, hey, we're probably going to need to do a C-section because she's not making progress, which to me, I was like, it's been six hours or what? It's okay. We're going to be okay. So anyways, 10 hours into the induction process, he comes into the room with the patient and I'm there present. And there we have these papers that show the baby's heart rate, the mother's heart rate and the contraction patterns. And he pulls up this paper to this patient. And says, yeah, see, look at your baby, your baby's in distress. We should probably have a C-section soon because you're not making any progress anyways. Y'all, I was so shook. I was so flabbergasted. I, I like my heart was beating so fast. I, my mouth was dry. I was like, I can't believe he just lied to her, blatantly lied. Because first of all, if your baby's in the stress, I'm not just standing here, like twiddling my thumb, looking right. at you. I am doing something. <laughs> so right. that red flag there, um, he, you know, walked out the room, gave her some time. And I suggested, can we have some time to think about this? And they were already a little bit suspicious of the doctor. And they asked me, well, what do you think? And of course, because of where I stand as the nurse, I can't tell you what to do. And I also can't throw the doctor under the bus. So the best that I could do is reassure that patient that their baby looked fine. They were not in distress. And if you're an L&D nurse and you're listening, it was a category one strip from the time she walked into the time this man said she should have a C-section. Um, and that was one of the instances um, where I was like, wow, I can't believe that this is something that's actually happening, that we're just lying to patients um, to get a result. I have seen that. And the thing is, is that I feel like I'm a patient advocate. And I know you said you didn't want to throw the doctor under the bus mm-hmm. but let me tell you something yeah he threw you under the bus because basically 
what he did was basically say, oh, your baby's in distress. The nurse hasn't been doing anything. Yeah. <laughs> so we're about to do something. So no, like what I typically do in those situations when mm-hmm. there is a disagreement with the doctor, yeah. I will say, I understand you might think that there's a problem, but I haven't seen any problems, but mm-hmm. I'm happy to discuss it with you outside of the room. And I'll tell the patient, I'll be back. We can all talk about this together. But maybe uh, me and the doctor just need to debrief so we can go over the tracing and so mm-hmm. I can see what they're seeing. Mm-hmm. And then we can come to an agreement on next steps and we can yeah. all talk. But I think we need to get more on the same page because I'm seeing something a little bit different. Mm-hmm. That's really um, good. Yeah, yeah. And just from nursing perspective, mm-hmm. and I know different states are different. Like in California, we have autonomy and we run our, <laughs> we run the units. Like I, the doctor can't even come into the room without talking to the nurse. I have about the California nurses. So it's a, it's, a, it's a little <laughs> bit different. And I've only been a nurse in California and in Nevada. So I don't have, but I ride for my patients. Mm-hmm. I don't play those kind of games. Like yeah. me and the doctor will go toe to toe. Like yeah. I don't play those kind of games. And everybody has a nurse to advocate for themselves Mm -hmm. and so yeah I love this example because this is an example of how would first of all why would the doctor show the patient the strip like they can't read a tracing right so that was like a way to undermine them right because how would they know yeah yeah it's okay how would they know and then you're sitting up here, the baby is not in distress right now Mm -hmm. like why are you lying right but this kind of stuff happens Mm -hmm. so you know just this is a perfect example of yes, how does this happen? And and typically it happens to people yeah. that doctors think are not educated, mm-hmm. that they can just do whatever they want to do, especially yeah. if they're used to working in communities where they feel like I, 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 they have like complexes, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes they call them God complexes or whatever you want to call it. Whatever I say goes and you're not going to question me because I'm a doctor. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm eager to hear the second example. Yeah. <laughs> we can read some more. Yeah. Um, so the second example was this OB doctor who his typical practice, we all know, is he likes to break water, break the amniotic sac early in labor. And there, there's research that says that it's totally fine. There's other research that says that doesn't support that. But, you know, I like to give my patient both sides of it. It's here's the pros and cons. This is what can happen if we do it early on. This is what can happen if we wait. And you can make your decision from there. I feel like that's the best choice is when you have all that information, you're able to make that decision. That's the information I gave to this particular patient. And an interesting fact they told me earlier on when I got this patient was that the last three generations of women had not been able to have a vaginal delivery. They had all had C-sections and they was already thinking that she was probably going to end up having a C-section, probably wouldn't be able to have a vaginal delivery. And I'm like, oh, it's it's early on in the shift. Your baby looks great. You look great. Let's not think about that. We're, we're going for vaginal delivery. So we start her induction with a medication called Cervidil. And it's basically, I like to describe it as like a shoestring. We put it close to your cervix and it's supposed Ooh, to... I, I say it's like a flat tampon. A flat... Oh, that's, a, long that's a good way yeah. to describe it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, like a shoestring or flat tampon. <laughs> and we put it close to your cervix and the purpose is for it to soften and ripen your cervix and hopefully open it up a little bit more. Well, like I said, this medication is supposed to be in for 12 hours. It was in for this patient for two hours. And for some reason, the doctor came in, checked her cervix, 
pulled out the medication, not allowing it to do its full purpose, and then broke the water when she was still one centimeters and still had barely dilated. And from there, everything went downhill. The baby did not tolerate it. She started bleeding, started passing clots, and the baby was in distress after about two, three hours. And we ended up having an urgent C-section. You said he broke her at one centimeter? One centimeter. And this is like common practice for him. One One centimeter? Okay. So... Yeah, it's a big issue with breaking in somebody's water that early, especially if they've never had a baby right? or just in general, yeah. because you're risking the umbilical cord coming through, yes. which is a medical emergency. Yeah. Plus, the chance of infection goes up substantially when you break the sterile. Yeah. You're breaking the barrier, right. the sterile barrier. Keep this baby from getting an infection. Mm-hmm. So those are like big things. For somebody to have that as common practice, when they that is not a standard, one of our national standards mm-hmm. is preposterous. Yeah. And that goes to, that's another example of somebody doing whatever they want to do, mm-hmm. not evidence-based, yeah. not even, it's not even supposed to be clinical practice, yeah. but doing whatever they want to do just because they think they can. Right. And that is very, very dangerous. Very yeah. Yeah. And so you said she ended up having to have an emergency C-section? She did. Yeah. Because the baby mm-hmm. wasn't tolerating it and she was bleeding. Mm-hmm. And I was very sad for her because they already had the idea that this is just like a curse in their family per se. And it just, it didn't have to be that way. And it was very upsetting. And it, it just gets really frustrating when you do your best to try to advocate for your patients and you try to educate them as much as you can within the 12 hours that you have with them and nothing changes when you still get the same outcome as if you did absolutely nothing. Yeah. 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 That's horrible. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I was so upset. And so those were the experiences and having several of them where I was like, I can't keep doing this. I have to, I have to tell people what's going on. I have to tell patients what to expect, how to speak up for themselves, how to spot manipulation and fear tactics Mm -hmm. and things of that sort so that you can be able to be empowered and advocate for yourself. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's so needed. It's so needed because overwhelmingly what I hear is that people don't feel like they have a voice. Yes. Or the thing is, is that First of all, when you're having a baby, you're in one of the most vulnerable positions you're ever going to be in your life. And basically you're sitting there trying to just survive, Mm -hmm. right? But now you also have to fight the person that you're trusting Mm -hmm. to keep you safe. You're on guard. Imagine the physical and emotional turmoil that is going on in those situations it's traumatizing yes people and this these are things that people never forget first mm-hmm. of all people don't forget their birthing experiences period yeah. those, those are core memories for mm-hmm. most people and things that happen it really creates a trauma bond mm-hmm. like a, a trauma uh, like association a trauma for people yeah. yes a trauma association that's what I'm saying mm-hmm. but it's, it's freaking 
crazy yeah. that you would think that, okay, I'm going to a hospital. I always tell people everything that I'm do uh, that I'm doing is to protect you and your baby, right? Mm-hmm. It's counterintuitive for me to do anything that will hurt you and your baby mm-hmm. because that's how I provide for my patients, right? Mm-hmm. But, and that's the expectation that most people should have. Yeah. But this system is so jacked up. Yeah. It's scary yeah. that we have to come in and fight for our lives while we're fighting for our lives. Yes. Like it, it is like scary. And I, and the other thing a lot of people just say is, well, that's why we are, we should just have home birth. And I'm just like, yes, home birth can be safer for people that that's available to, mm-hmm. or if you don't want to do like, any kind of medication during mm-hmm. your labor and you want to have that whole experience. Not everybody wants that experience yeah. and not everybody is a candidate for home birth. So in order to have a home birth, you have to be a very low risk person. Yes. So no kind of comorbidities, no kind of illnesses, right. even it, you can plan to have a home birth. And then the last week it changes because your blood pressures are elevated. So yeah. it has to be all these things that work in your favor for you to be able to safely deliver at home. Mm-hmm. What's more important is whether you're having a home birth or you're having a birth in a hospital, medical institution, is to know how to advocate for yourself, the questions to ask, have that education. Yeah, like what what do you think are like some common misconceptions or misunderstandings that people have like when it comes to or those knowledge gaps that they have when it comes to having a baby? Yeah. Um, good question. So I think one of the ones that I mostly encounter is the duration of labor. I Yay. think a lot of people, you watch these movies and these shows and it's, ooh, labor pain, ooh, water breaks, ooh, baby out. No, it doesn't happen like that. No, ma'am. It takes time and it ta- it can take up to 12 to 72 hours, heck, sometimes even longer. Um, sometimes it can be, it can be slow and it can be long and it can be boring. Labor phase. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Yeah. We know that labor is like they're already four centimeters. Yes. Uh Exactly. I think Mm -hmm. that's what I see a lot. And I think that leads to a lot of people having some, some, some forms of anxiety and fear Mm -hmm. and just a lack of patience for themselves. And I feel like this is when you need to be kindest to yourself and most patient Mm -hmm. with yourself as well as your support system. Mm Because I feel like you can be as patient as you want, but if your support system is like, okay, well, when are you going to have this baby? It's no, please, you calm down and I will calm down as well. And we're going to let your body do what it needs to do. So that's a misconception that I've seen. Another one that I've seen is just the fear of vaginal tears and your vagina not returning back to the state that it was before. And I just want to say you don't have anything to fear. The vagina is very, very elastic. It was made (laughs) to do this. You will push your baby out and it will get back to the size that it was before. And if you do tear, which is totally normal, a lot of people tear, especially with their first babies, your doctor will repair you and they use these dissolvable sutures that you you don't have to get it removed once they put it in place. So there's that. And I think another thing that I've seen is a lot of fear and anxiety as far as the pain of labor. And we all know that it hurts. 
I have never experienced it myself, so I can't relate per se to how it feels, but I can tell that it's, it's probably the most excruciating pain of your life. But you, there are things that you can do to be prepared for that or to be prepared as much as you can and trying to figure out ways that you'll, you'll cope during labor. Who's going to help you cope? That's very important. Different tactics and different tools that you can use and deciding if you want to get the epidural and when you want to get the epidural or if you don't want to get the epidural, do you want IV medication? Those are things that I think people should consider when it comes Let's to that. I just want to stop and talk about pain for a minute because yeah. I think this is so stigmatized for people like, I think people are afraid to talk about pain relief because especially, especially because there's stigma around like pain seeking or medication seeking. But when it comes to labor in particular, I think we're taught that if we ask for something for pain, like we're being weak and we're not like, it's it's this whole thing like people yeah. don't really have these conversations because and some of it is cultural mm-hmm. some of it is just like a lack of education or just yeah. knowing but having three children myself I can tell you it is the most pain you're ever going to experience in mm-hmm. your life I tell people that people who experience natural birth are like at the point at the breaking point of like death like you're that is that excruciating amount of pain mm-hmm. it's like you basically go up to hot like head like you basically die high five jesus and come back <laughs> down like after that baby is born because it is that painful yeah. there's nothing like it and i like like when people start asking for pain medication or just i'm gonna this is the thing Mm-hmm. I'm going to take it until I can't take it anymore. And I'm just like, check this out. Yeah. When you go to the dentist, it's going to hurt, right? When they start drilling in your mouth, that's going to hurt. Right. Do you tell the dentist, just start drilling. Then at the point where I feel like I can't take it, then numb me. Mm-hmm. No, you go in, the dentist numbs your mouth and it says, let me know if you need some more numbing yeah. medication. If you start to feel anything. Right. Okay. So why is it okay for you to sit Mm -hmm. up there and suffer through the pain until you can't take it? So that whole thing to me is crazy. If you know you're going to take something for pain, you don't have to suffer. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so listen, I'm not about that life. (laughs) Contraction pains are hard. When I get, I'm not about to do a home delivery because I want my epidural. Mm -hmm. I walk in the door. I get my epidural and I'm able to enjoy my birthing experience. Yeah. And you know what I'm saying? I'm not about to, I'm not about to play those games, Yeah. but that's because I understand that process. But so many people are either scared to talk about it, mm-hmm. think that they have to wait mm-hmm. or they just don't think about it enough so that they get to the point where they're in so much pain. They don't even know what to do. So there's yeah. no plan around it. Right. And I tell people, and this is like, this is for all the education around childbirth. Mm-hmm. Like there are so many things you have to prepare yourself for the actual delivery. Mm-hmm. I really feel like people spend more time on planning baby showers and gender reveals yeah. than they do on educating themselves on how am I going to get this baby out of my body? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that, sorry, that's my, my two cents on pain because that, that really burns me up. Yeah. Like, and then, and, and then it really burns me up when the man is be strong, you can do it, oh, knowing that goodness. if he has a headache, he's taking Norco's. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> like, stop guys. playing. 
if you know that you have a low pain tolerance and you have a family member there that's telling you to say no, 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 they're not in that bed with you experiencing the pain that you are experiencing. So you have to make that decision mm-hmm. for yourself and you should be making that decision well before you get into the room. Yeah. yeah. And I think there's also, I've noticed like a division as far as like having a natural quote unquote birth without any pain medication and then having one with an epidural. And it's, it seems like one side thinks that it's better than the other side, but it's, you don't get a gold medal either way, <laughs> either way, either way. I, we, yeah. as long as you have a healthy delivery and a healthy baby, that is all that matters. That is all that matters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One, and I just want to, uh, along that same line, one of the misconceptions that I see a lot, and I'm so glad I, saw, I finally saw a man share about it on Instagram mm-hmm. yesterday, is that the misconception that C-sections are easier just yeah. because you can go in. And I'm just like, you don't understand you're having a major abdominal surgery, and then you got to take care of baby on top of that. Now yeah. I've had both a vaginal delivery and a C-section. Mm-hmm. And so I can speak personally, but I've been a labor and delivery nurse for 14 years now. Mm-hmm. So like, listen, it is not easier. And I think a lot of times doctors sell it like that because they can go in, they can schedule it, they can get it done. Mm-hmm. But number one, it is not easier. But number two, you should never feel like you're a failure if you have to have a C-section. Yeah. But I just don't want people to think about it lightly because mm-hmm. that recovery is crazy. What they yeah. have to do to get the baby out is crazy. So mm-hmm. that's a misconception that I see way too often. Yeah, absolutely. And I yeah. think that the whole notion of like feeling like a failure because you had to have a C-section, that's just really sad to me because I, I wish that people didn't have that idea because that's such a huge burden to put on yourself as mm-hmm. one person. Mm-hmm. And nine times out mm-hmm. of 10, if you're not deciding to have a scheduled C-section, whatever caused you to need a C-section was outside of your control. There was nothing that you did, exactly. no exercise that you did, no food that you ate, no no activity that you did that could have led you to that point. So why put that kind of burden on yourself? In, when, in, in the moment, that should be the happiest moment of your life. That That's a lot. Exactly. It's a lot. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So like now, from the standpoint of knowing that we need more education, mm-hmm. what are you seeking to do to get this education out there so that we have more resources for our birthing mom. Yes. I started my company called The Labor Lounge. And what it is, it's it's basically, it's a childbirth education class that I have. And it's also a blog. So you can go on there and read some of the resources that I have. And the classes are very affordable. I'm aiming for it to be accessible for low-income and middle-income families so that you can not only learn about pregnancy, but also learn about labor, also learn about postpartum and uh, just even mental health when it comes to having your baby, learning about lactation, how to care for your newborn. Um, So that's what I am offering 
Um, in these classes, I'll be having interactive activities. Um, we will have role play um, scenarios for things that I see a lot um, in the labor and delivery field, conversations that you may have that you're not anticipating, um, and how to spot red flags on how to make um, a decision when you see these things. And a lot of this will also be very beneficial for your support system as well. I think it's very important that your support system is on the same page so that they can support you in your in your birth plan so that you can feel empowered and you can have an amazing birth, whether it goes as planned or it doesn't, which it usually doesn't. But I want you to have that experience and walk away feeling like you were not only respected, but listened and involved in your birth, even if it did or didn't go according to how you wanted it to go. That's how I want you to walk away from that. And I want you to have all that knowledge as well. And are these classes all virtual? Like how, what's the format of it? As of right now, the first two classes that I'm offering, they are virtual. I will also be offering in-person classes as well, as well as private classes. If you go on my website, the dot labor lounge, dot com you will find the details on there but the first two classes will be virtual yeah do you do any centering groups meaning that you take people that are relatively due around the same time and walk them through the processes or is it just open to anyone pregnant postpartum like how, how does it work who are you yeah. So it's open to anyone. Ideally, it would be um, people who are pregnant, women who are pregnant and will be delivering in the next five, six months. Because the sooner you started, the, the better it will be so that you can absorb all this information, do all the research that you need to do, do the homework. I will be assigning homework so that you can be able to make some informed decision before you are delivering your baby. It, it, but it will be for anyone. You can come if you've already delivered your baby. Um, you can come if you're nine months pregnant, six months, one month, four weeks. It's, it's, it's up to you. Yeah. Everybody's welcome. And what about support people? Yes, I definitely encourage and would absolutely love to see support people come um, and be a part of that class and get that knowledge and information as well, because it, it'll help so that we're all in the same page um, of what information we're learning and what decisions we're going to be making. Okay, so can you share again, like how people can access the classes, those sites? And any other resources you have for people? Yeah, so uh, my website is the-labor-lounge.com. Um, and it's the same thing on Instagram, the labor lounge underscore Houston, Texas. And it'll be a beige little icon with a pregnant lady with big hair. <laughs> and yeah, so those are my resources. And my blog is also on that same website as well. And you feel okay. free to and I'll, email I'll me. Definitely. Yeah, I'll definitely put the link in the show notes yeah. so you can easily access them. Mm -hmm. But I know you're doing some classes this month, right? Yes, I am. Mm -hmm. So let me pull up those dates because I don't give the wrong information. So yeah, so this month, it's a little bit short notice, but I am doing <laughs> um, a free class on January 6th and January 7th. 
And I'm also doing another free class on January 19th and January 20th. My goal is to just get more people knowing that I have this resource out there available to them. So there's a possibility that I may be extending those free classes to February as well. So just stay tuned, sign up for any notifications that you can get, follow my Instagram page so you can get those kind of information and my Facebook page as well. I love this. And I love having this conversation with you because even though this is the personal finance podcast, I think this topic is just so important. Mm -hmm. And even even on my platform, even though my platform is the personal finance platform, this topic keeps on being brought to the forefront over and over again. Anytime I share about black maternal health or any kind of maternal maternal health issues, Mm -hmm. those things resonate with so many people just because there is such a gap in mm-hmm. education, in in resources for so many people. And so I thought it was super important to have this conversation. And it was a great conversation. Yeah, 90% of my this. audience is women, whether they're childbirth, I mean, whether they're childbearing, have had a child, it's mm-hmm. something in this that they can take and, and apply it to their lives or share with someone who yeah. may be having a baby or yeah. if they're a support person, some things that they can help out with. Mm-hmm. And so I think this is an excellent conversation. It's mm-hmm. always great to talk to another labor and delivery yes. nurse and about these experiences all yeah. of each other because, man, this is, is crazy. Yeah. And I was just talking to my friend who's a lactation consultant doula and all of those kind of things last mm-hmm. night. And we were both saying this healthcare system needs to be imploded. Yes. There's so many things that need to change. Yeah. But I feel like these conversations help facilitate that change Mm -hmm. from a very grassroots level and the more people that are aware and are taking advantage of these resources the more people have the tools to be able to have better birth outcomes yeah so i really really appreciate having you here thank you for having me i'm so happy for what you're doing i know it'll help so many people Oh, yeah. I just want to say thank you, girl. Thank you. I'm so happy that I was here. And this was a really good conversation. And like you said, I love talking to labor and delivery nurses and just bouncing stories because it's like the things that we experience is it's a lot, y'all. <laughs> it's a lot. It is it's a, a lot. lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. So you guys make sure you check her out. Make sure you go to these free trainings. If not, just share it with someone that you know could use the information um but yeah this is really really good and again i just hope it helps change the trajectory of our maternal fetal outcome so yes. thank you that would be a blessing <laughs> right thank you. <laughs> thank you for listening to my mom's podcast bye bye